As we continue our study through Colossians, um, we're now getting to uh, the part of this letter uh, that Paul's been really building up to. Um, Obviously, he's very um, intentional in the way that he writes, but uh, here in this next section, beginning in verse 4 of chapter 2, we're going to get to what most would call the Colossian heresy. It's the heretical teaching that was starting to attack this church's foundation, spiritual foundation in this city. And so um, we're going to begin this section. It's going to take us a little bit of time to get through it, but um, something that we're going to see um, in this section, and, and obviously we see throughout the Bible, is that um, we're reminded of some core truth. We're reminded of some core teaching that we need to remember always. It needs, needs to come up in our minds. We need to recall as we go about our day-to-day lives. And so um, my desire is just to instill that in us so it just comes up over and over again um, that, that we, we have the ability to overcome in Christ. We have the ability to overcome our circumstances, to overcome people that are attacking us, to overcome anything that we're experiencing in this life in Christ. Um, and so we'll see Paul really send that home. In, in this section. Um, to begin our time, as I was thinking about this passage of scripture, it came to mind uh, years ago I had heard um, that by the time of his death in 1937, um, John Rockefeller's remaining fortune was about $1.4 billion. You're like, that's a weird place to begin a study. It's true. Um, it was estimated to be about $1.4 billion, about what you guys have in the bank um, right now. And, and what's interesting is in his life at some point, Rockefeller um, was an extremely successful man when it came to wealth. Um, someone once asked him, how much money is enough money? And he replied, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Um, it is tempting, I think, for us, and we understand this temptation in our lives, um, to see things that way. To see things in our lives that way, if I just had a little bit more of this, if I just had a little bit more of that, if I could get a little bit more comfortable, if I had a little more respect, a little more space, two more chairs, you know, whatever it is that that you feel like, (laughs) there are very specific people in this room that are laughing right now. (laughs) This is my wife's struggle. Um, You know, we think that if we could just have that, we could just have that that one thing or those couple of things, it, it would just be the thing that turned the tide. Happiness would finally reign. You know, if we could just make a little bit more money, then we'd finally be satisfied. And what's interesting is that we know, I think we know this in our hearts, and if we don't know, I'll, I, I want to I at least give you reason to consider this. Um, the appetite for these types of things is insatiable. The appetite for those types of things, for things in this world, is insatiable. You will always have an appetite for more. You will always be hungry for more. These things are all consumables and will never be happy if they're the basis for that happiness. We'll never be happy if those things are the basis for it because they're consumable and the, 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 the desire for them dissipates and then we want more. The more of them we acquire, the more space it creates. And then when they disappear, we have more space to fill. You understand? It's, it's a very ongoing and it continues to digress type problem. Yet the world offers us more and more of them promising that we'll be fulfilled if we have it. Just watch advertisements. And just watch advertisements on TV when you're watching commercials. If you just had this, you would look like this. No, I won't. I won't look like that. I've never seen my abs look like that. You know, I've never seen my face look that clear. You know, all these things. We will never be that. Yet the world offers us fulfillment. And I think from time to time, we struggle with the temptation to drink that proverbial Kool-Aid. 
um, to buy into that and to look and be like, you know, if I did have that, I would be happier. You know, my friends would respect me if I had that car. You know, or, or these people would respect me if I lived in a house that looked like that or if I had these things or if my kids respected me in this way. By the way, all of these things apply to that same type of satisfaction we're looking for, that kind of validation that only comes from Jesus. That validation will only satisfy, be satisfied by Christ himself because it was created in you to be filled by just him. When you seek to be validated by things, there is a part of you that is longing for God to fill that space because he is the only one who is everlasting, never runs out of strength, never runs out of sufficiency, and so he's the only one that continues to provide and occupy that void in our lives. He is the only one that can fill it. And so once we recognize that our desire of our hearts in the flesh for consumables, um, we have to do something about that. Once we recognize that that's our desire in the flesh, that that's a fleshly response, we need to start walking in the Spirit. And when we walk in the Spirit, we can be equipped not only to resist blatant attack, but subtle ones too. You know, the enemy isn't always on an all-out frontal assault. Lots of times he's trying to get guys around the rear. Lots of times he's coming from the side through the bushes. You know, like we, we, we get engaged up here and we think Satan's going to walk out and go, ah evil you know like attack us with something and sometimes he does sometimes there's an all-out straight in your face attack but how many times have you been sideswiped by something you didn't see coming by a sin that, that that snuck into your life and it almost shocked you that you were in the middle of it that you were in the middle of this battle or this struggle with it you see when we realize that we have a desire in our flesh to fill the void of our life with things that disappear that don't satisfy and when we fill that with Christ and we start to walk in the spirit our awareness clicks on our awareness not only to the blatant but to the subtle as well the subtle attacks that try to work their way into our lives even disguising themselves to look like Christianity to look like something that's good you know Satan disguises himself as an angel of light he doesn't come up to you oftentimes looking like blatant evil. It looks kind of good. It looks pretty cleaned up. You know, it's not like the enemy is going to throw something at you that tastes disgusting. He's going to offer you something delicious. And so this is what people, uh, we people, me and you and all of humanity struggles with. And I think Christians understand that a lot of times lie, deceit, and temptation can come to us almost disguised as religion, disguised as a, as a part of our Christianity. And, and, to, and, and what they are, in fact, is deviations to sound doctrine. It's a deviation to sound doctrine. It's a deviation to biblical foundation. And here's the thing. Are we aware enough to recognize it? And do we know what we're looking for? And do we know what the truth is? And by the way, the reverse is what we need. We need to know the truth well enough to know that when anything that comes that's inauthentic, we recognize it and go, that's not true. That's not what the Bible says. Paul addresses the blatant and subtle attacks on our faith in this passage this morning. He's going to talk about the obvious. He's going to talk about the subtle. And what he's going to do is he's going to reveal the following. If we can get this, we win this morning. Like, so my goal is for us to win this morning. You know, this is our own little Super Bowl before the Super Bowl. I want us to win today. And so here's how we're going to win. If we can get this into our hearts and apply it, we win. This is what it is. We need nothing but Christ to overcome anyone or anything in this universe. Amen? We need nothing but Christ. If you have Christ, you will overcome. If you have Christ, you will overcome. Because of you? No. Because of him. 
because of who he is. And that's what Paul's going to show us. So we don't need a little bit more of anything else. We need Jesus, period. We need Christ in us. So exciting passage of scripture. Let's read it together and we'll, we'll break it down and seek to understand it as much as we possibly can in our time this morning. Colossians chapter 2, picking up in verse 4, we'll read down through verse 10. Paul writes this. I'm saying this so that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. For I may be absent in body, but I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see how well-ordered you are and the strength of your faith in Christ. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world, rather than Christ. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. And you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. It's hard to end on verse 10 and not want to teach it right there and just be like, it's so good. But let's go back. Let's go back to verse 4 because I want to look at this, this section together as one. He says in verse 4, I'm saying this. The reason I'm communicating these things to you is so that no one will deceive you with arguments, notice this, that sound reasonable. That sound reasonable. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Christ, but there are voices that are deceptive. It's well-crafted deception, arguments that sound like they make sense, that are being presented to this church in Colossae, and Paul says this, remember, you know, the kids in the room or the younger gen, remember who you are. You know, like, it's, it's, that's what Paul's saying. <laughs> yeah, probably not the best thing to, to use in an analogy, but it works. Remember, remember what you are. Remember how you've been trained. Don't forget because this stuff is deceptive. Remember that all wisdom and knowledge is in Christ. Don't fall for false teaching that sounds like it makes sense. You know, you ever heard something that you knew was wrong, but it sounded so good? I mean, good speakers do that. Like a, a quality public speaker can make something so wrong sound so good. You know, the reason that so many atheists were able to actually hold their ground and, and debate, it's funny because I look at the evidence when I listen to debates on, on like atheism versus Christian worldview, and I'm like, okay, all the, the truth is right here. These guys are wielding the truth. Guys like Frank Turek and Greg Kolkel, they're wielding the truth. But when you listen to a guy like Christopher Hitchens talk before he passed, that guy could speak. He could orate. He could convince you that you were a different color. You are purple, my friend. I am? You know, like, he, he was that convincing just with the way he would present his arguments. Some things sound really good, but they're absolute lie. And what's crazy is that the enemy is an expert at mixing truth into that. He'll take a few, a few truths and be like, you see this? You know how you know these things? You ever notice that Satan quoted scripture to God? When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, and we, we, we kind of... We forget that, I think, sometimes. I know that I do. You know, I'll hear someone teaching me like, huh, that's compelling. I'm like, wait, no, it's not. It's completely wrong. But the way it's being said is this mingling of truth and lie. 
And it's very dangerous. And, and, and we, we kind of walk through our lives with these types of things being thrown at us. And the church of Colossae was no different. The Gnostics didn't discount Jesus as if he'd never lived. They weren't that foolish. What they did was say, Jesus is a way. Jesus is a possibility. But he's one of many possibilities. And in order for you to actually attain what he said, you're going to have to do this and this and this and add this to your life and add that. And they would add stipulations to it. They would add, add different um, hoops that you have to jump through. The Colossian church and the church today and church tomorrow have been given a tool to know whether what we're being told by religious leaders, any religious leader, any teaching, to know if what we're being taught is true. What is it? You got your Bible in your hand. You have your Bible. You have the word of truth in your hands. And that's why I love telling people this when I teach. Make sure that what I'm teaching you is true. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. Study the scriptures. Don't take my word for it. If you're taking my word for it, that's responsibility I don't, I don't deserve and I don't want. I'm responsible to teach the word of God accurately. You need to make sure that I'm standing on the truth of God's word. And so go to your Bible. Know that what you're being taught is true. Search and look for it. That's why the Bereans were praised. We know this from Acts 17. It says they were praised over the people in Thessalonica because they searched the scriptures daily to know if what they were being taught was true. Paul said they were to be praised for that. Actually, it was Luke who was writing. But, you know, they were to be praised for doing this, for going to their Bibles and knowing that what they were being taught was right. Accept no other authority unless it stands on this truth. God does give authority to men, but only when they stand on the foundation of his word. Only when they stand on the foundation that God has already laid, which is Christ Jesus. And there are so many false teachers in this world. There's so many deviations from solid biblical exegesis. It's crazy to think about how often on the airwaves or on our TV screens, we are fed really good-sounding false doctrine. We are fed sugar-coated lies, even from religious leaders. The crazy part about it is, is that it shouldn't shock us at all. It shouldn't be surprising to us. You ever listen to somebody like, how are they getting away with this? This is terrible. I can't believe they're saying this on TV. Why isn't someone standing up in the congregation going, liar? You know, like, why isn't that happening? Like, it's, it's not, but here's the thing. Jesus said to expect this, and Peter wrote more about it. Sorry for that. Peter wrote more about it. Second Peter 2, verses 1 through, th- through, through 3, through the, ha, it's, it's tough language. You try it. Second Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. He's talking about the prophets of the Old Testament in this context. He says this. In verse 1, there were indeed false prophets among the people, speaking of in the past, just as there will be false teachers among you, speaking about today. They will bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them and will bring swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved ways and the way of truth will be maligned because of them. They will exploit you in their greed with made up stories. Their condemnation, pronounced long ago, is not idle, and their destruction does not sleep. So two things here. One, we should expect false teaching and be ready to stand against it. Two, don't get frustrated. God's seeing every bit of it. Don't get frustrated with it and, and feel, feel like they're getting away with stuff. They're not. They're not getting away with it. David talks about this in the Psalms. Just watch the wicked, and and I'm paraphrasing, he's like, it's so frustrating to watch wicked people prosper. He's like, but then I saw their end. Then I saw where this leads to. 
And here's the thing. We shouldn't be like, yeah, God, punish them. You know, like that's, that's not to be our heart. We want to see people get saved. But understand this. When we get frustrated with a lack of justice, God is just. God will deal with it. If you don't think that, you, you know, if, if it bothers you when you see injustice, imagine how much more a perfect God. You can't even imagine how much injustice bothers him. And we see this in our world. Don't let it get you down. God sees it. And, and when he says this about false teaching in 2 Peter chapter 2, I love it how he says, their condemnation pronounced long ago is not idle. Their destruction does not sleep. God will repay. He will deal with it. He will deal with people who are doing this. We should never be shocked at the heresy spoken in this world. We should never hesitate, though, on how to handle it. You know, a lot of times we're like, okay, I'm not shocked. I know this is coming, but don't hesitate on how to handle it. Stand for the truth. Know what the truth is. If you don't, study. Take those words that Paul spoke to Timothy personally. Study to show yourself approved. A worker who can rightly divide the word of truth. Be able to study and teach the Bible, even in your circle, wherever that is. It may not be in front of a lot of people. It may be in your home. It may be in your workplace. But be able to share with people and not Bible slap them. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance, not your concordance-filled study note Bible that weighs 45 pounds. You know, like that's smacking somebody with your Bible is not going to help them. But showing them God's truth in a way that they can receive is important. That's why we understand that we're not of this world, but we've been sent into it. It's important that we understand that. I've been sent into it on mission with a job. God's given us word. We need to rightly be able to handle it. Even though Paul is not physically there, he is with them in spirit. Notice how he says this. He says this in verse 5, For I may be absent in body, but I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see how well-ordered you are and the strength of your faith in Christ. Paul's not there physically, but he's with them in spirit through prayer, through his letter, through the messages he's getting back from Epaphras. He's got a guy there on the ground who's doing the work and coming back going, this is what's going on. This is what they're facing. This is how strong they are. This is what's attacking the church right now. Paul's like, I'm there in spirit. I understand what you're going through. I'm, I'm there. Stay strong. Stay firm. This church demonstrates strength by what? CrossFit every Monday afternoon? No. <laughs> I'm not going to go to CrossFit. That's, anyone can look at me and know I'm not a CrossFitter. Here's the thing. You guys, the church demonstrates strength by having faith in Christ. Having faith in Christ. Their strength lies in their trust in the Lord. Is that what defines our strength? Are we strong because we have faith in God? Because we trust in the Lord? Don't be pulled into any new teaching just because it's new and it sounds like fun. Don't be tempted or lured into sin because you're hearing something new. Know what the truth is. Know the Bible is not outdated. And we're going to talk about why uh, further along in this text. Verse 6, he continues on. He says this, So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. Those who receive Jesus must continue. We have to keep going. It's not, I'm saved, I can sit. There's no such thing as saved and sit. It's saved, continue. Why? Because you're still alive on this earth. You're still in this body. If you're still here and you have a human body, I checked, everyone here does this morning, then then here's the point. 
God has you here for a purpose. I don't believe that Christians should ever sit back and go, I've done my job. It's time for me not to worry about being a witness anymore. Um, if you have breath in your lungs, you need to praise him. You need to worship him. You need to use your life for God because he put you here and has filled you with the ability to do so. And it may not look like what it used to, but it certainly can look like something that glorifies God right now. And it should. The false teachers in Colossae wanted them to accept additions to Christ. They were teaching that he wasn't sufficient, that he wasn't unique, that he was one of many options to salvation. This is one of the paths that you might take, one of the many rivers that flows to the ocean. That doesn't even make sense. Times haven't changed much, have they? We hear all of this today, just in different ways. Do you ever get, like, your mind starts to swim a little bit when, when you start thinking about all the religious beliefs that are in this world today? All the different teachings, you're like, you're a what? A cosmetologitarianism. I don't even know what that means. Like, I, I can't, like, there's so many words. Like, you're making that up. Like, you're just blending, like, four different words. Like, I don't even know what that means. All the girls are like, cosmetology, is this a religion? No, like, you, you guys, like, you understand, like, there are so many things. <laughs> Faith, yeah. We have hairdressers in the room. But here, here's the thing. You guys, you guys understand that, like, we, we have so many weird beliefs in our world. I was talking with uh, Emily about this before. Like, there's so many beliefs, like, what was that? Was that universalism? Was that unitarianism? Was it you-ism? Was it U-turnism? Like, wh what is it? Like, there's so many different isms and belief systems. You guys, our faith in Christ was never going to go unchallenged by the enemy. Our belief in God and our belief in his word was never going to go unchallenged. It was always going to be challenged. If Satan challenged Jesus, he's going to challenge us. He's going to hit us with something. And again, I want to I reiterate this. He's going to come after us with something that looks good. And so we need to be prepared to stand against false. We're told over and over to remember, to stand firm, to continue what we've been taught by the word of truth. At the end of the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 7 through 9, the author exhorts the reader in this way. Remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you. Pause there for a second. What did the good leaders do? They spoke God's word to the people. Not their own opinions. Not Remember that guy who spoke really cool, was super fancy, had the nicest shoes in the room? You should listen to him. No. You should listen to the people who speak God's word to you in truth. God's word. He says, as you carefully observe the outcome of their lives, imitate their faith. Hold up. As you do what? You observe the outcome of their lives. It means that you observe them, and this is where being a pastor is literally living in a fishbowl. If you're going to be teaching people, you have to be able to show others what it looks like. That's why I have invasive young adults in my home once a week. They know what my house looks like on good and bad days. They know what I look like on good and bad days. They know what my kids look like. You, you get the picture. So, like, you understand, like, this, this dynamic is you are to observe the life of those who teach you God's word and say, are you living it? Is it real? Is this something that I can imitate because it looks like Christ? Paul didn't hesitate to say in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. The reason he doesn't hesi didn't hesitate is because he imitated Jesus. And so people who want to be teachers of God's word have to be observable so that you can then follow what they're doing. You guys, 
so many people have been caught up in, in, into leadership that they haven't been able to observe, and what was being said sounded good, but what was being lived was horrible. And we see it in the news all the time. Guys who are doing things that are so against what they've been saying, they've just been walking contradictions for years on end. And here's the thing. They need help. They need to get into the Lord's hands. They need, they need reconciliation with the Lord. But do you realize that the damage that is done to a body by men like this is catastrophic? It's catastrophic. And here's the thing. Never hesitate to take a look. Oh, I hate saying this in this room. Never hesitate to take a very close look at my life and how I'm living. You need to be sure that the way I'm living matches up with what I'm saying. And if we are to be a church body, and if I'm going to be a leader that you trust to teach you God's word and truth, you need to have a view. You need to know what's going on in my life. So ask. So ask. You need to be free to do that. Carefully observe the outcome of their lives. I'm teaching Hebrews now. We should be back in Colossians. Just a second. Carefully observe the outcome of their lives. Imitate their faith. Notice this. This is the best. I love this. Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. Isn't that great? Guess what that means, folks? Your Bible's not outdated. That's the truth. Your Bible is not outdated. What you are reading in Scripture is the same yesterday, today, and forever. P.S. It's not cultural. It's not cultural. Reading and understanding the word of God in what it says, in its truth, is very simplistic in nature if we apply common sense. It has not changed. Jesus has not changed. Don't be, notice this, right after he says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, look at verse 9, it should be on the screen. Don't be led astray by various kinds of strange teachings. What would, a stra- what would classify a strange teaching? Saying that Jesus is not the same as he used to be. That Jesus doesn't say the same things today as he said yesterday. That Jesus has changed and is not the same as he's going to be today. He'll be different tomorrow. That is a strange teaching. And how many people today go on and on about how you shouldn't have a say in something that's wrong in our cultural, in our social climate, because it doesn't apply anymore because what Jesus said doesn't really apply today. How many times have we heard that? I hear it all the time. Well, if Jesus was living in our day, he's the same. He hasn't changed. Is Jesus absolutely loving? Yeah, you bet he is. Is he absolutely gracious? Absolutely. Is he also 100% holy? You bet he is. Is he 100% just? See, the hard part for us is that a lot of times we want to land on either side. But he is all of these things in one. For the fullness of the Godhead dwells in him bodily. It's so good. You guys, it is good, it says, for our hearts to be established by grace. And notice the writer of Hebrews hits his social situation right in the nose and not by food regulations, since those who observe them have not benefited. In other words, don't get caught up in being keepers of the law. Get caught up in following Jesus and obeying him. Follow Christ. Obey Jesus. Be rooted, built up, established in your faith. Stick to sound teaching and don't miss the end of verse 11 back in Colossians 2. Look at the very last thing he says in verse verse 7. In Colossians 2, end of verse 7, overflowing with gratitude. Overflowing with gratitude. I don't know about you guys, but I'm a recovering complainer. I am working on it, right? I'm a former procrastinator. 
or not procrastinator, pessimist, excuse me. I can't even say it right. I, I'm just a natural pessimist. I see things oftentimes from the negative. And I see the negative side of things first. It's a detrimental thing. It's wrong. I can't do that. You guys, we need to overflow with gratitude. You realize a heart that's thankful. We aren't blind to see negative. We aren't blind to deal with things that aren't good or to call them out and recognize them, but we never let it affect our joy. And when we are filled with the joy of the Lord, gratitude explodes out of our life. The deeper you go into your faith, the clearer and more unstoppable should be our response to his grace more unstoppable than ever because the more we understand the depth of God's love and care for us, the more we're overwhelmed and thankful for all that he's done. The closer I get to him, the more I realize who I am, who he is, and how thankful I should be. And it was well said that thanksgiving is the constant and characteristic note of the Christian life. Thankfulness or thanksgiving is the constant and characteristic note of the Christian life. That's the note that we sing all day long thankful. Even non-believers get this. Um, Epictetus was a Greek teacher, and he wrote the following. It's interesting to read um, Greek teachers and, 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 you know, philosophers, because sometimes you get these little nuggets, and you're like, dude, you're so close. Like, you're so close to understanding what God is revealing to you, but you keep holding on to philosophy and to, to knowledge and to all these different things instead of grabbing on to a Savior who offers you grace. And this is what this Greek philosopher, this Greek teacher wrote. What else can I, a lame old man, he's not saying he's lame like out of date. He's, he actually was lame in his feet. He says, what else can I, a lame old man, do but sing hymns to God? If indeed I were a nightingale, I would sing, be singing as a nightingale, if a swan as a swan. But as it is, I am a rational being. Therefore, I must be singing hymns of praise to God. Non-believer. This is my task, non-believer in Christ. He believes there's a God, just not a follower of Jesus. This is my task. I do it and will not desert this post as long as it may be given to me to fill it, and I exhort you to join with me in this same song. He recognizes that he's a created being, and he recognizes that as a created being, he should be singing to the creator. How much more those of us who know Jesus? If a non-believer can say that, church, how much more ought we to be singing his praise and exploding with thankfulness always? Christians, we should never be the downer in the room. We speak truth, but we should always be full of joy, and we should always be expressing the goodness of God to people. Okay, verse 8, he continues, he says this, be careful. That be careful is very emphatic, by the way. Be careful. Pay attention, he says. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. And you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. Paul draws a vivid picture of what a false teacher is. And what a false teacher looks like. He speaks of anyone who will carry you off as his spoil. Uh, that word that he uses, sulagogin, it, it could be used of a slave dealer carrying away the people of a conquered nation into slavery. He says, be careful. Don't get carried away into slavery. 
And what that slavery looks like, the entrapments that these false teachers would use, Paul, Paul calls them out in verse 8. He says, philosophy, empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world. The philosophy being offered and being taught was teaching that was additional to what Christ taught and in addition to the words of the gospel. They were adding two things that Jesus said. They were putting stipulations on it, putting rules and regulations on what Jesus could actually accomplish through his death on the cross and his resurrection three days later. And so what they were doing was adding to the gospel things that Paul spoke strongly, not only to the Colossians about, but to the Galatians as well. And we probably know these verses decently well. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9 says this. Paul says, I'm amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who, who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. As we have said before, I now say it again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, a curse be on him. Anathema in the Greek. It's interesting. Those are very strong words. I don't know if you noticed that. Very strong, and then Paul repeated it, so we got the point. Notice Paul goes so far as to warn in detail against extra-biblical gospel um, and, and adding to those things via angelic revelation even. It says, even if an angel appears to you and says, okay, obviously I'm more powerful than you are. Here's something you need to add to what you're believing. Even an angel why would we fall for the tricks of someone who's like us, just a human being? He goes, even if an angel says this to you, they're not telling the truth. That would be demonic interaction. In Paul's day, that was coming from the heretical teachers as well. This is what they were teaching. They wanted to introduce the worship of angels. You'll see that further along in this section. We get to verse 18. They were teaching the worship of angels as part of our worship to God, that you had to do that as well. They were teaching that Jesus was only one of many intermediaries between God and human beings and that all these intermediaries must receive their worship. You got to worship them all. All of these things are in between you and being right with God. So not just Jesus, but they put Jesus on a level worship playing field with other things. We've never seen that before. Worshiping other people the same as Jesus. Praying to other people the same as Jesus. Heads up, church. That's not sound doctrine. Paul spoke against it. We've never seen a large group of people led astray at the revelation of an angel to a human being, have we? You guys, this is tragic. This is heartbreaking. We need to pray and reach out to and teach people who are entrapped in cultic belief like Mormonism that this is not the gospel of Jesus. They have added to it. They have added to it. They have added a second gospel. They've added a second revelation, which by the way cannot be validated. It was interpreted by one man. You guys, know your Bible. Know the truth about Jesus and what he taught us. The philosophy, the human traditions that are man-made hoops to jump through for salvation, or the worship of spirits, angels, astrology, all, they all offer a false means by which to achieve holiness. You're not working any of your bad off. You're adding to your problem, and you're refusing the completed cleansing of Christ on the cross. They're all in contrast to Jesus. 
Simplistically put, you could say the teachings of the world make the following statement, do this. And the response of the gospel of Jesus Christ is done that. He already did it. He already completed the task. For the entire, verse 9, fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. Now notice the next section. This is why I can say that. In Christ, it's done that. When we're in Jesus, here's why. You have been filled by him. It's right there in verse 10. Verses 9 and 10 together make such a powerful pop. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ, and you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. Every ounce of wisdom is contained in Christ. And look at verse 10. I hope that this overwhelms us. You and I, as his body, have been filled by him. The completion of God's sacrifice and saving grace in Jesus, all the fullness of God himself in Christ bodily, and we have been filled by him when we accept Christ. Hallelujah, amen. Price paid. Job done. You're like, well, if the job's done, then why am I here? It's a great question. It's a great question. Because in that new life, we have work to do because there are unsaved people in this world. There are people in this world that God wants to save, and he's going to use, I know this shocks us sometimes, us to do it. He's going to use us to reach the lost. Why not? If his church is filled with the fullness of Christ, who is the fullness of the Godhead bodily, then why not use the church? Now, the question is, are we walking in that new standing as new creations, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, or are we, sorry, 2 Corinthians 5, correction on myself, got to make sure I'm teaching truth, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if we are new creations, then we need to walk in that and be that example for people, be that light to people, live that life that's imitable, all of these things that we've seen here, and know the truth of God's word and give it to people so that they can respond, so that they can be, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5 as well, be reconciled to God. That is the cry of the ambassadors of Christ. Be reconciled to God. That's why you're still here. That's why I'm still here. We are saved. We are completely saved in Christ. There is nothing more that he has to do to save us, but he's taking us through this walk of maturity, and he's growing us so that we can be better and better tools in the use of his hand so that we can be better tools of use in his hand. And so the question is, are we fighting against the potter as the clay? Are we trying to tell him that we're a golden vessel when he says you are a jar of clay that I pour my valuable Holy Spirit into and the only value that that jar has is to pour out and be refilled and pour out and be refilled. That's where the value of our lives comes. Are you pouring out the Holy Spirit? Are we doing this as a church, pouring out the Holy Spirit of God and being refilled again to be poured out again? You're like, well, a jar of clay is really fragile. Yup. That's the point. It's to show that God is the one who is strong. To show that it's Christ in you that is the hope of glory. It's not us. It's him. Are we placing ourselves in position to show that so clearly? The fullness of God has filled us in Christ. Notice this as well. If you do a little bit more reading and you get into the original language, you have been filled denotes a completed act with ongoing results. You have been filled has the connotation to it, if you read it in the Greek, that not only have you been filled, you shouldn't be sitting still. You're filled, and it continues to produce results in your life and in the lives of others. 
That's the subsequent action. When it's producing results in our life, it produces results in other people's lives. He's actually sanctifying us, maturing us, and will finish that job on the day of Christ Jesus. False doctrine says there are other paths, other tasks, other scenarios. Biblical doctrine says Jesus is the fullness of God, the head over every ruler and authority. He fills you. Get to work. You're ready right now. You're ready to be used by God. And one of my favorite sayings from a Bible teacher is this. He said, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. He is going to qualify you if he's called you to go somewhere. So the only crux of the issue is this. Are you moving? Are you going? Because God will qualify you for that task by the power of his spirit. Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So go and do it. If God's calling you, he will qualify you. All of this, and I hope that this kind of brings that statement that I made at the beginning of our time together, together, and understandable, and exciting, and encouraging, and and that we're fired up to do this. He wants us to understand we need nothing but Christ to overcome anyone or anything in this universe, because a lot of times we talk ourselves out of serving God because we don't think we can do it. We talk ourselves out of the next task that God's calling us to because we don't feel like we can handle it. And here's the thing. You can overcome anyone or anything in this universe in Christ. And what's the worst that can happen? Your life ends and you're with Jesus. That's coming for all of us. That's the best thing ever. I know it is the best. Like, that's it. That's the best. That's, I mean, it, it, when you think about what lies ahead for the church, why would we ever be down? There are times that we go through that are a struggle, but we always come back to this. We have Jesus waiting for us. Not only filling us and strengthening us, but waiting for us on the other side of the end of all things. When he finishes here on this earth what he says he's going to do, we get to spend eternity with him. That's our hope. That's our excitement. One of the best ways that I can think of, and and it just so happens this morning, typically on the first Sunday, we like to do communion together. Um, We like to take communion as a church is to remember that Jesus loves us, to remember what he's done for us. And as the worship team comes up and um, we're going to take communion as a body together, um, this, is, this is just an opportunity for us to not only remember Christ, but I, I want to I point one other thing that, that this time can be very useful for. This could be your opportunity to settle some things with the Lord. Have you been struggling with a sin? Do you feel like something's holding you back from being used by God? Like you're not able to go forward. Like you're not able to do the next thing he's asking you to do because you've got this sin in your life. I encourage you to take this time before we take communion to confess that sin to the Lord, to ask him to strengthen you to stand against it and to leave it behind like the life in the flesh so that you can go forward with clear conscience, empowered by the spirit to do the thing he's calling you to do next. I don't want anyone in this room to dwell on the past. I want everyone who's here this morning to recognize who you are, to remember who you are, and recognize that Jesus died for you not when you were cleaned up and looked nice. Jesus died on the cross for us when we were dead in our trespass and sin, when we were filthy. He died for us then. He loves you. Church, he loves you. 
and cares for you like you take care of your physical body. Jesus is the head of the body, and he takes care of the church. He leads it. He guides it. He takes us in the direction that we should go. And so if you are pushing against him, just take some time between you and the Lord. Confess that to him. Allow him to work in you. Allow him to minister to you. I have the guys come forward and, and distribute the, um, the communion elements, and, um, and, and we'll take that together. But let's just take a moment. Let's bow our heads. As the, you know, the, the plates come by, could you just go ahead and take that? But um, hold on to the elements for communion. We'll take them together.